With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. WLAC and the conservative law and politics show where every week we discuss legal and political issues from a conservative perspective. I'm your host, Lee Dreyer, and this morning we'll be discussing two very important issues. First, we'll talk about the boycott of Target retail stores sponsored by the American Family Association that resulted from Target's corporate policy permitting men to use ladies' restroom facilities and vice versa. Then in the second half of our show, we'll discuss another federal court decision that limits your right to free speech. And with us this morning first is Mr. Abraham Hamilton III. Mr. Hamilton is a policy analyst with the American Family Association. Mr. Hamilton, very good morning to you. Welcome, welcome, sir. Hi, hi. How are you, Lee? Good to be with you. Doing great on a Saturday morning. Uh, a little bit later in the program, we'll have the president of the Southern Evangelical Seminary, Dr. Richard Land. Dr. Land is a graduate of Princeton University, has a Ph.D. from Oxford, He also authored a book, The Divided States of America, What Liberals and Conservatives Get Wrong About Faith and Politics. Uh, Mr. Hamilton, before we get started, tell us about the American Family Association. What is it? Sure. The American Family Association is a pro-family organization, and our mission is to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of American culture and to give aid to the church and to give aid to the church here in America as well as all around the world is in the very important task of fulfilling the Great Commission. So that is what we do at the American Family Association. Okay. Now, you're a policy analyst there at the AFA, and they've developed a policy which essentially has organized the boycott against uh, the Target retail chain. And the reason for the boycott is, I guess, ostensibly Target's policy that uh, basically allows biological males to use female restrooms and, and vice versa. So let me ask you this. Do you think the American Family Association's boycott encourages discrimination against transgendered persons? No, absolutely not. In, in fact, in, in our boycott effort, we actually propose a what we believe to be a common-sense solution to be able to allow the target stores to serve the entirety of the potential customer base while simultaneously refraining from uh, jeopardizing the safety of women and children. What we just asked Target to do was instead of desexing, in effect, all of their restrooms and changing room facilities, that they just employ a third restroom and third changing room option that could be single occupancy that was able to be locked uh, for an individual to use who may not be comfortable with a tradi- traditional men's room or women's room. They could use that restroom, uh, enter it, lock the door, do their business, and exit without having to subject the rest of the population to potential risks of danger. Uh, but to date, Target has not uh, agreed to accept that common sense resolution. And we've communicated to Target, we've said publicly, that nobody at the American Family Association uh, believes that the transgender community represents any particular risk of harm. But our concern is that in an effort to, to, to make an overture to the transgender community, 
that they, as a result, entered into this misguided and I would say dangerous policy. Because I, as, as you said, I'm, I have a background as a criminal prosecutor. I've had the unfortunate experience of, of trying and prosecuting and, and ultimately leading to the incarceration of far too many sex offenders than I'd like to, to remember. Uh, there are more registered sex offenders in the United States than there are transgender individuals. So the reality is that this, this uh, policy has the likelihood of putting more people in danger than it actually has uh, to service. And so uh, as a result of having the unfortunate experience of, of handling the gross underbelly of American society, I've seen, I've tried, I, I know the great lengths that predators will go to in order to apply their dastardly, dastardly desires on uh, innocent people. Okay, so I want to make this clear, and we've had we've done a show on on a similar issue before the law in North Carolina. This is not about discriminating against trans, the transgendered. This is about protecting women and children from sexual predators, at least in your eyes. Correct? Absolutely right. You you hit the nail right on the head because, as I stated, no no one thinks that the transgender community represents any particular risk of harm. Our concern is predators. We use targets policy as cover to get access to new victims, and we've seen just recently the arrest. Of, of the guy, Zachary, I forgot his last name, in, in New Hampshire. And there's a host of issues that, that range uh, that have been just in recent uh, occurrences of voyeurism, young girls being recorded by men in changing room facilities. And that's exactly the type of danger that we try to warn targets about. Okay. Now, there are certainly other retailers that have the same policy. Starbucks, the Union Bay Company, that's the parent company for Macy and some other retailers, mm-hmm. Uh, Barnes and Noble, who years ago I actually prosecuted on some charges related to obscenity laws. Uh, these retailers all have restroom policies that mirror Target's policies. So why single out Target for a boycott? I mean, I guess why Target Target? <laughs> I see what you did there. Uh, the, the, the primary reason is Target was very, very bold. If you can remember, at the height of the furor concerning the North Carolina mm-hmm. uh, HB2. Uh, yes, discussion. I do remember. We actually did a show about that. Target immediately comes out, and we responded immediately to Target. So some of the other companies have stated their policy, but they have not been as bold and pronounced as Target has been. And interestingly, and I know you, you, you follow these things, those companies that you name pale in comparison to the numbers of companies that would normally jump on the bandwagon with something like this. So we do feel that it's having an effect on Target specifically but as well as communicating to other organizations. I know for a fact that uh, Home Depot and other stores have specifically refrained from wading into this territory as a result of the, the boycott, that effort that we launched against Target. Now, the American Family Association has been circulating an online petition to get people to agree to uh, basically join the boycott. How many signatures has the AFA garnered on that petition so far? To date, we have 1,370-some-odd thousand and counting. The number's continually going up. Um, and so, and we communicated this to Target that each one of those signatures, 1,370,000-plus, uh, represent not only individuals, but they represent families. Uh, and I know we're going to get to it later on. In preparation for, for my meeting with the Target shareholders, I did a, did a little research, and marketing companies and branding agents recognize that for every individual represented as a signature on our petition to boycott Target, there's seven additional people who've developed a negative negative perception of that of the brand for that company. So, uh, and I do believe uh, that that has reflected itself in the, the, decrease, the decrease in Target stock price, which I know we're going to get to as well, um, that dropped at the lowest that I can recall, close to 20%. 
it's rebounded a little, but it it pales in comparison to the stock price that uh, Target boasted. Okay, so twenty percent. What, what was it? So it was at about eighty five, eighty four dollars a share, I yeah. think, and and yeah. now it's somewhere um, in the high sixties. Yeah, high sixties. It, it was about eight. It was on April twentieth when we lost our boycott effort. It was about eighty four, eighty five dollars, and now it's about in the high sixties. So uh, that is significant. Now, to be fair, uh, that's a short window uh, from April to June. Uh, in order to have an appreciable effect, we're looking to keep that going. Um, but it's definitely something that is noticeable, and it's something to keep your eye on going forward. Well, and just in an interest of uh, fair and uh, disclosure, I also signed that petition for Target, and I've I've expressed to my family that we're not going to set foot in Target as long as they have that policy continuing. And, again, it's got nothing against transgender. I just don't want my wife uh, basically ogled by some pervert in a public restroom or worse. Um, now, let's talk about Target's sales revenue. Have you really hurt their sales revenue, or has the boycott, I guess, hurt the sales revenue? Well, we are eagerly anticipating the the, the release of their second quarter sales earnings, um, which I expect to happen right about the middle of August. Because um, uh, to be fair, once again, all of the retail companies are suffering pretty appreciable uh, losses and decreases in sales performance. Uh, but Target is doing measurably worse than everybody else, you know. Uh, but we're looking forward to looking at those numbers that are that are set to be released right about middle the middle of August. So that would include the time period that encompasses the AFA launch boycott. So we are looking for those numbers to be able to put uh, black and white numbers to our boycott. Okay. Uh, let's get in briefly to the Target shareholders meeting that you actually sure. attended. Uh, let me ask you first off what you had to do before going to that shareholders meeting. I mean, did you have to buy stock, or did you already own well, it? Uh, well, we we have uh, a wide range of supporters. Some uh, AFA supporters are Target shareholders, so uh, we were able to go in as a proxy for the shareholders who own stock at Target Corporation. Oh, I see. Okay, now now where was the actual shareholders meeting? <laughs> the shareholders meeting was in Costa Mesa, California, which is in. Uh, the Anaheim, a suburb of L.A., Los Angeles area. And I tell you, it was quite an experience. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that for a second. I've heard you talk about it on other radio shows. It, it sounds almost surreal. Um, first of all, tell us what the atmosphere was like actually inside the building. Okay, well, first of all, the building was basically like a concert hall that you would never would have, would have imagined it would have the facilities to host a, a board meeting for shareholders or shareholders meeting. Uh, but it did. It was a meeting room off to the side. And immediately uh, upon entree, uh, they knew I was coming. They, the target personnel knew, knew I would be, be there. When I got into the auditorium where the meeting was going to take place, uh, the director of communications from Target came up to me and said, you know, thank you very much for coming. Soon thereafter, the target CEO and chairman of the board, I didn't know chairman of the board until I went to that meeting, but he serves in both capacities as CEO and chairman of the board. Uh, Brian Cornell came to me also and said, thank you for coming. Uh, it was interesting that... With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Of the people there, I'd say about maybe half of the crowd uh, were shareholders. 
and the other half were target personnel. And right up okay, so how many target, so how many people were there total? I, I I'd have to guesstimate. I didn't have a, a ticker, maybe a hundred plus, maybe. Uh, so about about total. fifty people were were representatives of Target, and another yeah. and only another fifty shareholders. Is that right? Yes, because okay. the majority of the shareholders voted their shares uh, in the mail. I learned that that means. Okay. Well, I I think on that note, we're going to have to go to break. Uh, But ladies and gentlemen, when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, basically Abraham Hamilton's speech to the shareholders of Target and management's response. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Lee Dreyer, and you've been listening to the Conservative Law and Politics Show on News Radio 1510 WLAC. Welcome back to the Conservative Law and Politics Show on News Radio 1510 WLAC. I'm your host, Lee Dreyer, and we're talking about the boycott against Target, sponsored by the American Family Association. However, before we get back and before we get back to our guest, I'd like to mention that this show is the exclusive production of the Conservative Law and Politics Media Group, who is solely responsible for its content. The assertions and opinions expressed in the show are those of the participants and not necessarily those of WLAC or iHeartMedia. And for those of you who have questions about the show, you want to suggest show topics, or you're having a legal problem and want some free, and once again, free legal advice, uh, or maybe you'd like to advertise on our show, uh, please go to my website, www.leadryerlaw.com, hit the Contact Us button, and send me an email. If you send me an email, I will respond. And with that, back to our guest, Mr. Abraham Hamilton III. Uh, Mr. Hamilton, when we left, we were talking about this surreal atmosphere uh, basically at the Target shareholders meeting, uh, and you indicated that it was uh, it was in, what, a performing arts center, uh, mm-hmm. and it was in a, a room attached to it. And the other thing that kind of struck me as odd when I listened to you in a prior, prior interview, the police presence. Tell us about that. <laughs> yeah. So you had a, a very significant and obvious uh, contingent of Los Angeles Police Department officers who were dressed out in, in full tactical gear. <laughs> and so, you mean like bulletproof vests and uh, uh, basically yes, I mean, strapped uh, strapped on pistols? Uh, were there anything other than pistols, any assault rifles, anything like that? No, I didn't see any assault rifles, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if they had them there. I just didn't see them physically present. I mean, I didn't intentionally try to take stock of every single officer that I saw. But I was thinking to myself, wow, these guys are showing up, have showed up for a fight. <laughs> now, when you, when you showed up at the meeting, were the, were the directors in there mixing with the shareholders, talking to the shareholders, no, or something else? No, 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 no. Not until maybe 10 minutes or so, and I may be a little bit off on the time, before the meeting was about to start, did the board of directors emerge from the side room, you know, almost like a, a scene from the movie in The Matrix, like, whoof. Then yep. they all emerged because it was a, <laughs> I was I was envisioning like a, an entrance like the Cleveland Cavaliers marching onto the court for Game <laughs> Seven or something. I mean, is, was it was it like that or was it like it was? I mean, and, and you knew who they were because in the in the documentation you had before the meeting, then their names and pictures were in the documentation. And Target, unlike other corporations, they reelect their board every year. Well, you know, here's the other thing that struck me about this whole presentation. Again, I wasn't there, but it struck me as having the intent of letting the shareholders know exactly who was in charge, and it was the board of directors and not them. Or am I wrong? And that, no, that is exactly the way that the meeting was conducted. And that, is, 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 that is exactly the nonverbal uh, 
message that was communicated. We run this corporation. You guys are just privileged to be here. <laughs> and so much for the shareholders owning the company. All right. Now, you were actually approached um, when you arrived by somebody from Target, actually by two people from Target. Tell me right. what they said to you bef- basically before the meeting got started. All they said, the director of communications came up to me and thanked me for coming there. They called me by name. Well, oh, I'm sure he was. Uh, I'm sure he or she was grateful you were there. Was it a him uh, or a her? It was a female. Okay, and well, Brian, yeah, I bet she was glad you were there. Yeah, and then Brian Cornell himself came up and said the uh, exact same thing that she just said. All right, Brian Cornell. Now he's the CEO and chairman of the board of Target, right? That's exactly right. And you could cut the tension in the room with a knife because they knew who I was. They knew who I was. They knew why I was there, and they also knew what I represented because this board meeting followed a meeting that our president at AFA, the CEO, the president of AFA, actually went to Target's headquarters in Minnesota to deliver the first one million uh, petition signatures to Target to let them know, hey, this is serious. You have a large contingent of potential customers who, can, who are concerned about this policy. So and that they certainly were not didn't get their happy. attention. Yeah, you would hope, right? Uh, but they were none too happy to see me come through the doors at their show. All right, now... Now, they actually kind of set this up to stifle your comments. And again, going back to the uh, entrance of the NBA champions analogy, there was, uh, oh, I guess a neon sign flashing, right? Yes, there was, there was this huge high-resolution screen behind the board of directors and, and the lectern that was up on the, on the stage. And at the very onset of the meeting, the first words out of Brian Cornell's mouth were, Target is committed to diversity and inclusion. And these Translation, you are not welcome here. <laughs> Abraham Hamilton III, just go home and don't even speak, right? That is exactly right. And as he said those words, it almost as if they were time, because they flashed on the monitor, which had a white background, and the verbiage, the text was in a red letters, diversity and inclusion, diversity <laughs> and inclusion. <laughs> did, they, did, they, did they wave a little pocket watch in front of you, diversity and Inclusion, your eyelids are getting heavy. Was there anything like that? Yeah, that's the way it felt. And it's amazing because as you look around the room, all of the board of directors seem to be nodding their heads in. in oh, yes. Diversity and inclusion. Diversity we and believe inclusion. in diversity and inclusion. Yeah, it was diversity crazy. Inclusion. Like some, uh, something right out of, uh, out of the Hunger Games or something. Yeah, uh, that's the impression I got. I thought, what, what planet are these people from? Yeah. All right, so, so, so other than the stifling diversity and inclusion comments echoed by this flashing sign in the background. What else did uh, the chairman of the board say to you? I mean, he was running the meeting, right? He was running the meeting. Brian Cornell ran the meeting, and it progressed to the point of the meeting where shareholders present, of which I would have been considered one as a proxy, Mm -hmm. uh, would get an opportunity to address the board of directors and make comments and, uh, and ask questions that would be pertinent to the meeting. And as we transition to that point of the meeting, I immediately stand up and make my way towards the microphone, which is in the middle of the aisle. And he so says what? Yeah, as, as I'm walking, Brian Cornell says, and as you're making your comments, please be, be careful out of respect for the shareholders present to refrain from making advocacy statements. And please limit your commentary and questions to something that is germane to the business of Target. All right, so the diversity and inclusion statement echoed by the sign in the background, uh, that was kind of an advocacy statement, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, because you see the rules only apply to those little plebeians who want to make make a statement ask questions. Yeah, that kind of applied to the board. When, when I heard you tell that story the first time, that kind of reminded me of what my father used to say to me was something to the effect of, do as I say, not as I do. Exactly. 
Um, exactly. All right. So, so you finally, after that, uh, I don't know, deluge of attempted censorship, you finally got to say something. What did you say? That's exactly right. And and I kind of anticipated that they uh, would expect me to kind of get on my, my soapbox and lecture about the moral depravity and degeneration that's going on in America. Uh, but I didn't. I felt like a more appropriate strategy would be to make my comments something that would be beneficial to the target shareholders. So I asked, well, I started off with a statement. I, I said, well, Mr. Cornell, my name is Abraham Hamilton III. I, I'm from uh, the American Family Association. And as you know, we've, we've launched a petition to boycott the Target stores that over 1.3 million people have signed their names to and have committed to refuse to park in the steps of your store because of your policy concerning the restrooms that would allow men into women's facilities. I said, so the question that I have for you is whether or not you and the board of directors conducted a cost-benefit analysis prior to wading into what at minimum can be considered controversial territory. Now, as of course, as a reasonably prudent CEO, he conducted this cost-benefit analysis, right? Uh, no, he did not. And and to be fair, ladies and gentlemen, I knew the answer to that question was no. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, the look on his face said it all, and it's amazing. I wish I had cameras in there because he did not expect me to a- ask that question. He then launches into this prepackaged, canned PC response about diversity and inclusion and goes on and, sa- and says that he feels and he believes that this is in the best interest of the Target Corporation. Then he concludes his long remarks by saying, and thank you very much, Mr. Hamilton, for coming, but we hope you respect uh, our position on this matter in an effort to kind of shut me down. I was going to say, translation, sit down and shut up. Yeah. And so then I said, but to be clear, and I want to make this clear for all the shareholders present, are you telling us that the only basis for your decision to launch this controversial policy is based on your feelings and your beliefs? He then says, well, Kathy, can you answer his question? Oh, pass the buck. Go ahead. Tell us what Kathy exactly had right. to say. Well, yeah, but at that, at that point, that's, that's, you know, two things. One, you realize you didn't answer my question. Two, you don't have the answer to my question. So you're asking for reinforcements to answer the question. And Kathy is Catherine Smith, who is the executive vice president and the CFO of the, of the Target Corporation. And then she goes on to say, uh, well, Mr. Hamilton, I'll tell you this. Uh, we've looked at lots of data, and we don't see any material impact. We don't see any material impact. <laughs> Wait a second, was this? With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway, and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Before or after the 20% loss in stock price? Exactly. It was after this loss in stock price, but regardless 
of that particular point, she didn't answer my question because I didn't ask her anything about the stock price or the impact. I asked her that she conduct the cost benefit analysis and the target corporation before launching this policy. And she didn't do because that. I think it would be important for the shareholders to know that these people are playing monopoly with your real money. Mm. And one of the shareholders, and we, we've only got about 40 seconds, but one of the okay. shareholders indicated to you after the fact that uh, he saw that they didn't have the answer, right? That's, it. That's exactly right. The shareholder came to me, tapped me on my shoulder, said, Mr. Hamilton, I just want to let you know I heard your question, and I heard what they said, and they didn't answer your question. And I also recognize that they're playing with my money. Mm. Well, I think on that note, uh, to you, Mr. Abraham Hamilton, thank you very much for coming. Uh, please come back anytime. Uh, I think we're going to have to go to break. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, when we come back, we're going to talk to Dr. Richard Land, and we're going to be talking about another limitation imposed by the federal government on your rights to free speech. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Lee Dreyer, and you've been listening to the Conservative Law and Politics Show on News Radio 1510 WLAC. Welcome back to the Conservative Law and Politics Show on News Radio 1510 WLAC. I'm your host, Lee Dreyer. And we're here on the line with Dr. Richard Land, and we're going to talk about how your First Amendment rights have just been limited. However, before we get to Dr. Land, I wanted to once again remind you all that this show is the exclusive production of the Conservative Law and Politics Media Group, who is solely responsible for its content. The assertions and opinions expressed on the show are those of the participants and not necessarily those of WLAC or iHeartMedia. Dr. Land, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. It's good to be with you. Dr. Land, uh, you are, I guess, the current president of the Southern Evangelical Seminary. Is that correct? Yes, sir, for the last three years. Could you tell us a little bit about that organization? Well, we were founded 25 years ago by Dr. Norm Geisler, who's one of the preeminent apologists of the Christian faith in the last half century. And uh, we are a seminary that offers a bachelor's degree, a master's, two master's degrees, a doctoral, doctor of ministry degree, and a Ph.D., we offer them all online. They're all available online. And um, we do apologetics. That's what we do. We, we defend. If you've seen the movie God's Not Dead and God's Not Dead Too, mm-hmm. that's what we teach people how to do, to Good. defend the faith with the evidences for the faith. That, that's our, and, and to evangelize the world. That's, that's our goal. Um, and you can get your entire degree online. I have a son-in-law who works full-time at a bank. And in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and he just finished a two-year Master of Arts and Apologetics degree in three years from his den in Murfreesboro, and and while working full-time, and um, he's now going into our PhD program. Now, Dr. Land, you are a man of the cloth, and I have a very, very strange federal case I want to talk to you about. Uh, it's the case of Hodge versus Talkin. Yeah. First of all, tell us who Mr. Hodge is and... Uh, what he did to get charged with a crime? Well, Mr. Hodge um, was Harold Hodge was arrested for holding a protest sign on the public plaza in front of the United States Supreme Court building, and uh, in, in believe it or not, in spite of the First Amendment guarantee that Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech, the Supremes have held that it is unlawful to parade, stand, or move in procession or assemblages in the Supreme Court building or grounds. And what Mr. Hodge did was in 2011, he held up a three-foot by two-foot sign that read, quote, the U.S. government allows police to illegally murder and brutalize African Americans and Hispanic people, end quote. 
Right now, that's not a that's not a. Forgive me for interrupting, but that's yeah. not a a sentiment that you agree with, right? No, I disagree with every with everything in in that statement, including the the and and the the. Uh, <laughs> and, but and, go ahead. But but Mr. Hodge was handcuffed and arrested, and the Supreme Court has now upheld his conviction. And although I disagree with everything Mr. Hodge said, I defend to the death his right to say so. I cannot believe the Supreme Court voted to abridge his constitutional right to freedom of speech and to uh, right, you know, peaceful redress of grievance on the property of the Supreme Court. Well, now, wait a second, Dr. Land. Shouldn't, shouldn't the Supreme Court be able to say, gee, we want law and order on our grounds? Well, of course, but he wasn't, dis- dis- he wasn't disobeying the law. Mm. He was just holding up a sign. He wasn't trying to disrupt anything. He wasn't trying to impede anyone's progress. It wasn't a sit-in. It wasn't a lay-in. It was, he wasn't even talking. He was just holding up a sign. Mm. And now uh, let's talk a little bit about the procedural history of the case. Uh, Mr. Hodge was actually charged in federal district court, and as you mentioned earlier, uh, he argued, or through his counsel, I guess, that this regulation violated his rights to free speech. What did the federal district court have to say about it? Well, the district court agreed with him, and then it got, it got overturned at the at the appellate level, and then at the at the um, Supreme Court level. Mm, okay, so Doctor Land, in my lifetime, and I, I'm probably about your age, maybe just a hair younger. I've seen an increasing number of examples where you basically have to have the government's permission to exercise your constitutional rights. I mean, in my lifetime, back in the 60s, they started off with gun control legislation and carry permits and everything else. And now we have these free speech zones where you can only engage in free speech where the government tells you you can. So my question to you, Dr. Land, does the Constitution really mean anything if we as citizens have to beg the government to exercise our constitutional rights? No. That's toleration. That's not freedom. And um, if we have to get the government's permission to exercise the rights that are recognized and guaranteed in the Constitution, then they're no longer rights. They're privileges that are granted to us by the government. And George Washington understood the difference. He wrote in the letter to the Jewish synagogue in um, Newport, Rhode Island, in 1790. And he said, we have a new government, a new government that ought to be emulated by other governments where you do not have toleration you don't have the right to do something because people give you the right through through toleration. It's your inherent right. As long as you as long as you're good citizens and you obey the law, you have the right to exercise your faith uh, according to your own conscience. Well, and, and the whole purpose of the Constitution, particularly of the Bill of Rights, was to limit our government's ability to p- impose their will on us. Correct. That's exactly right. So what would happen? I mean, would would the Bill of Rights actually mean anything if, uh, let's say, before the First Amendment, it says you can only exercise this right with the permission of your government? Well, no. That would be toleration. There would be any, wouldn't be any need for the Bill of Rights because they wouldn't mean anything. 
Mm. The, the revolutionary nature of the Bill of Rights was that our government said that these, you have these rights because you're a human being. All the government can do is recognize, acknowledge, and protect those rights. You have the right as an inherent part of being a human being. Okay. Now, um, something a little bit off the subject. The ACLU brands itself as someone who fights for the rights of individuals. But the funny thing that I found is they only fight for the rights that they agree with. Well, that's right. And, in fact, you had the state chapter head of the Georgia chapter of the uh, American Civil Liberties Union who resigned her position over that very point because her children were traumatized, her daughters were traumatized by a transgender person coming into the women's bathroom. And she said that, uh, you know, the ACLU was interested in some people's rights, but not in other people's rights. In other words, the rights of her daughters Hmm. and the right of of her as a mother to protect her daughters from being exposed to men dressed up in dresses claiming to be women going into a bathroom with little girls. Hmm. Yeah, and and the other thing that strikes me is very odd, and you, you brought it up when we were at a break. Uh, you talked about a case, another case that's percolating through the federal court system, uh, regarding a morning-after pill and a doctor's obligation to administer it on request. Tell us about that. Well, this is a very disturbing case uh, out, of, uh, or out of Washington and Oregon. And the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, which, of course, is – the most liberal federal jurisdiction in the country, they ruled that a law that protected um, the right of of pharmacists not to have to prescribe the morning-after pill for women um, unless, unless they were the only pharmacist available to do so. In other words, they were the only pharmacist in town. And the um, Ninth Circuit ruled that, that was unconstitutional, that the doctor should be forced to administer it, that, it, that their right of conscience and their right of religious belief did not uh, hold sway. And the Supreme Court of the United States refused to take up the case, thus letting the lower court or, uh, decision stand. And Associate Justice Samuel Alito, who is becoming more and more the champion of religious freedom on this court, said this was an ominous sign, an ominous sign for the future of religious freedom in the United States, and I agree with him. Okay. Well, on that note, I think we're going to have to go to break. When we come back, we're going to talk about, essentially, the push against this liberal agenda agenda right here in Tennessee. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Lee Dreyer, and you've been listening to the Conservative Law and Politics Show on News Radio 1510 WLAC. Welcome back to the Conservative Law and Politics Show on News Radio 1510 WLAC. I'm your host, Lee Dreyer. Before we get back to our guest, Dr. Richard Land, I'd like to once again mention uh, that this show is the exclusive production of the Conservative Law and Politics Media Group, who is solely responsible for its content. The assertions and opinions expressed on the show are those of the participants and not necessarily those of WLAC or iHeartMedia. Dr. Land, welcome back. Uh, I wanted to ask you about a positive development right here in Tennessee. Uh, There is a statute that protects uh, certain religious freedom on the part of Christian counselors. Tell us about that. Well, it's Senate Bill 1556, and it allows licensed counselors to opt out of treating clients or patients whose goals, quote, 
conflict with the sincerely held principles of the counselor, end quote. Among other things, the law protects conservative Christian counselors from being compelled to treat members of the gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender community who don't want to change their lifestyles, lifestyles that may violate the deeply held religious convictions of such counselors. The bill allows counselors or therapists, quote, who feel they cannot serve a client due to the counselor's sincerely held religious principles to refer the client to another counselor or therapist who will provide the counseling or therapy. So given the militancy of the LGBT community, um, such laws are going to increasingly become necessary to protect Christians in the medical and professional fields from having their licenses to practice called into question merely for following the dictates of their own religiously informed consciences, um, like the pharmacists in the Northwest now. All right, well, let's, let's talk about militancy. Um, what do you mean when you say that? Well, um, they, you know, the, the LBGT community and their, their, um, um, their uh, very uh, rabid lawyers um, tend rabid, to seek lo- out, Rabid lawyers. I resemble that remark. No, I'm teasing. I don't they, tend to, they, they tend to seek out Christian counselors or Christian pharmacists or Christian florists for weddings or Christian photographers and to say, you know, you must violate your conscience and you must give your artistic expertise to uh, helping this ceremony take place that you find morally uh, unconscionable. Um, and, And what's amazing about this is there's not one community in Tennessee where they cannot find a counselor who'd be more than happy to have the business of counseling a, a person who is a homosexual or a lesbian or transgendered. There's not one community in Tennessee where you're not going to be able to find a wedding photographer who'd be more than happy to have the business, or a, 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 a baker who'd be more than willing to have the business, or a, or a florist who'd be more than willing to have the business. So why single out Christians and try to weaponize the government and at the point of, of, the, of, the, of the force of law, force them to violate their consciences. Okay. Let me ask you this. Um, give you an example. Let's say that, and I would never do this, by the way, but let's say that I had a client come to me. As you know, I'm a lawyer in private practice mm-hmm. uh, who was a um, member of the LGBT community. Say, look, I want you... Uh, to do business with me. I want you to represent me in this case. And that particular case doesn't violate my religious views. I mean, they're not asking me to defend Mm -hmm. a human sacrifice. They're not asking me to perform a wedding ceremony for them. Uh, Should I be required to do that? I don't think you should be required to, but I don't, you know, I don't think there's any reason why you shouldn't. No, I I agree. I mean, mean, but I don't think you should be required to. And and let me be very clear here. If If a gay couple comes into a bakery and they want to have a cake baked, or they want to buy some cupcakes, fine. But asking them to decorate the cake with uh, an appropriate message for a homosexual wedding or to cater that wedding um, is a bridge too far. Forcing a, a, a photographer who's a Christian to cover uh, a gay wedding, to go to the rehearsal, to go to... Um, uh, the reception, to take pictures at the wedding. 
um, when they find the ceremony itself morally unconscionable is, is, as far as I'm concerned, coercion. It's not necessary. Um, there's not, as I said, there's not one community in Tennessee where you're not going to find a photographer who's more than willing to have the business. So why single out Christian photographers and Christian bakers and Christian florists and try to force them and compel them by having their own government weaponized against them in terms of fines and jail terms? Well, and, and that's the point that I want to make. A lot of people accuse conservatives of being bigoted toward that particular lifestyle. And I want to make sure everyone understands what you're saying is that, no, you should not have the, uh, the opportunity to discriminate against somebody based on their lifestyle. However, you should not be able, you should not be forced to participate in an activity that legitimately violates your religious con- uh, conscience. That's right. That's right. All right. Any any question about that? Now let me let me take you to another thing. We actually did a show on 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 this case, Kim Davis case. Kim Davis was a public servant, and all of a sudden the law changed, and now um, she was targeted much the same way you you referred to earlier. Uh, she was targeted as a Christian, and and was uh, was insisted to, she was asked to to issue marriage licenses for same sex couples who now have this. Newly, newly recognized constitutional right to be married, um, should she have to just go ahead and do her job, or did she have a religious right uh, to object to that and give it to somebody else who didn't have a religious objection? I think she has a, a right to have her beliefs and her conscience accommodated uh, unless – to have them accommodated by the government unless it's impossible. Okay. And uh, in, ten- in in North Carolina, where I live now, uh, they passed a law uh, saying that that county clerks could opt out if they had religious scruples of signing same-sex uh, marriage licenses, and someone else could sign them in the office. So as long as there was someone available in the office to sign them, they didn't compel a particular person, in this case the county clerk, to sign the marriage license. And that's, in effect, what they did by changing the law in Kentucky. Now, there is a caveat to that. If you're going to be a public servant, then the public service, the public has to be served. So if you have a fire department and you have a Seventh-day Adventist who applies to be a fireman, I believe that you should accommodate his religious beliefs as long as you can without violating someone else's right, which is the right to be protected from damage by fire. Mm. And if you have a a fire department and the only person who can work on Saturday um, in a particular situation is the Seventh-day Adventist fireman, then he can't say, I'm not going to perform my duty that is required of me by by the city uh, because of my religious scruples. Yeah. Uh, I believe that's the that's the place where you know um, if you're a public servant, you have to obey the law and you have to enforce the law. Doctor Land, sadly, we're going to have to wrap things yeah, up if you there. If you can't do that, then you need to resign your office. Yeah. 
Anyway, my, my thanks to our guests, uh, Abraham Hamilton III of the American Family Association, of course, you, Dr. Richard Land of the Southern Evangelical Seminary, and as always to my producer, Reuben Hunter. Uh, make sure you catch his show, the Surround Sound Podcast, on YouTube. Ladies and gentlemen, we live in a country where the words in our Constitution are no longer considered relevant by the left wing. What's relevant to the left is their ever-changing idea of what America should be. They use this vague notion of privacy to justify all kinds of things like abortion and gay marriage. And they've certainly been very successful. But all the while, the left try to use their political power to convince our government that we shouldn't be permitted to hold a sign outside the U.S. Supreme Court and that our children should be forced to use public restrooms open to both sexes. For years, I've heard left-wingers justify the censorship that is political correctness by saying that words have power and we should avoid exercising our right to free speech if that speech might offend someone. Yet almost in the same breath, they tell us words like freedom of speech, freedom of religion, the right to peaceably assemble, and the right to bear arms have no meaning at all. They say that we can only exercise our constitutional rights as Americans when the government says we can. And the government, according to the left, has the absolute right to tell us no. Well, let me just suggest that the Constitution has no meaning whatsoever and is completely irrelevant when the government can essentially suspend it any time that it chooses by telling us that we can't exercise our rights. And let me also submit that when that happens, we may very well still be the home of the brave, but we are certainly no longer the land of the free. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Lee Dreyer, and you've been listening to the Conservative Law and Politics Show on News Radio 1510 WLAC. Happy Saturday. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.